Marshall reminded us looking at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. If your Bibles with you, open up to Matthew chapter 6. Tab mentioned the prayer guide, so I do not need to do so, but would you listen as I read God's word to us this morning? Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, familiar words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Lord, we, we desire to, to pray as you have taught us to pray. We ask this morning that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would grant us the gift of illumination, that we would hear you speaking to our hearts this morning. Meet us, we pray. Amen. Well, in the Morgan household, we like to play word association games. Well, really, we like to play one very specific type of word, word association game. Like any good parent, I, I have taught and trained my children in the way they should go. And this is most clearly seen in the way that they respond to two very specific words. And these are two very important words. So the first word, the first word I say to my daughters is, is whenever I say the word Dodgers, without thinking, without hesitation, the girls will shout out, Boo Dodgers! I know, I know. Good parenting. If that is not your child's response to the word Dodgers, follow my example and teach them. The, the, the second word, that's right. The second word, you know it's coming next. When I say the word, the word Padres, again, without hesitation, without thinking, they shout out, go Padres. Man, they just, I'm teaching them well here. Well, this morning I want to play a little, little word association game with you. What comes to mind when you think of the word prayer? Without hesitation, without thinking, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about prayer? Is it duty? You think, prayer, man, that's, that's that thing I know I'm supposed to do. Or maybe you think guilt or condemnation because you know it's that thing you're supposed to do, but you don't. 
Perhaps for you, the word is, is privilege. You hear the word prayer and you just instantly bubble up with joy as you know that that is just an expression of your communion and your relationship with God. Prayer is something that you cherish. Or maybe when you think about the word prayer, maybe you're thinking right now, oh no, not another sermon on prayer. I, I don't want to hear that this morning. But this morning, as we look in our text, we're going to see what comes to Jesus' mind when he thinks of prayer. Because we want to come to our mind what we think of prayer, what comes to Jesus' mind when he thinks of prayer. And without hesitation, without thinking, when Jesus thinks of the word prayer, he thinks of relationship. For For him, for Jesus, prayer is all about our relationship with God. Prayer is about growing in our communion and our intimacy with him. Because Jesus knows that prayer moves us closer to God relationally. In this way, prayer is kind of like a light switch. When you flick on a light switch in your house, a light turns on. The the, the bulb illuminates. Now, does the light switch provide the power to do that? The light switch doesn't do anything. What the light switch does is the light switch connects the electricity to the light bulb. And in the same way, prayer is like that light switch that connects us relationally to God. So this morning as you're, you're sitting here, as you're thinking about 2018 and, and what life might look like for you next December, as you're planning out how you would like to grow closer to God? Or, or do you have that desire? Is that that's something you're thinking? Are you sitting here and you, you feel distant from God? Maybe you're, you're longing for your experience of God to deepen and to grow. Well, no matter where you are this morning, Jesus, Jesus is inviting us to sit at his feet and to learn how to pray so that we can move closer to him relationally. In our text, we're going to see three lessons that Jesus has for us in prayer. He's going to teach us three ways to pray that will help us move closer to him relationally. First, we see that Jesus teaches us to pray with a Godward confidence. The first thing that Jesus teaches us about prayer is that our confidence isn't to be in ourselves. If we're going to grow deeper in our relationship and our communion with God, then our confidence in prayer must be in him. Our confidence in prayer needs to be rooted and grounded in the fact that we are praying to God, our Father. See how Jesus shows us this in verses 6 and 8 of our passage. In verse 6, Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In verse 8, Jesus tells us, Do not be like them, the Gentiles. He says, For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now this would, would have struck a chord for the disciples. This would have caused them to slow down and pause. You see, they were used to praying. Praying wasn't new to them. But they would have never prayed. They would have never addressed God as Father. Lord Almighty, 
God, creator of the heavens and earth. Sure. But Father, they would never come to him and say, Father. To the Jewish people, God was primarily holy other. God was was out there. He was transcendent. He was removed from them. There There was a distance. But as Jesus teaches us, he wants us to know that our confidence in prayer is in the fact that God is our Father. Six times in his teaching on prayer, he refers, to God, he refers to God as our Father. He's showing us over and over again that we need to, to understand that our confidence in prayer is rooted in our relationship to God. If you're here and you've trusted in Christ, God is your father. He wants to relate to you as a child relates to their parent, or as a, as a parent relates to their child. God isn't distant, but he is near. He is close to you. When we come to God in prayer, if we're not viewing him as our father, if we are not looking to him as a child, looking to our parents, then we're not going to grow We're not going to grow closer to him relationally. There's going to be this distance between us and God. But Jesus doesn't want us to miss this. In fact, he shows us the alternative to praying with a Godward confidence in verse 7. Look with me at verse 7. Jesus says, says, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. For the Gentiles, that is those who aren't in a a loving relationship with the God of Israel. The Gentiles, they were famous for, for heaping up empty phrases. They were convinced that in order to get God's attention, in order to guarantee that God is going to hear them and that God is going to respond in their prayers, then their prayers had to be long and filled with repetition. They had to repeat these things over and over and over again. We see this in 1 Kings 18, when the prophets of Baal are crying out for hours for him to send this prayer down. They are repeating themselves for two hours, for hours, cutting themselves, desiring for for their God to act. Because they know, or because for them, they need to manipulate, they need to persuade this reluctant, distant God to hear them. But that's not how we pray. Jesus is calling us to look to God as our Father. To remind us that he's not some distant deity. He's not reluctant to hear us but we're speaking to our loving and our listening Father who desires that we come to him in prayer. So as you think about prayer, as you think about your confidence in prayer, which of these approaches most characterizes how how you come to God? Do you you tend to, to come to him like the Gentiles that Jesus teaches us about? Thinking, thinking, being tempted that to think that God doesn't God's just not interested in what you have to say. God just doesn't want to to hear from you. Maybe you're tempted to think that God just doesn't think you're you're that important. So he's not going to take notice of your praying. 
So in light of that, you, you, you try to come up with these eloquent prayers that are somehow going to impress him, that are so, going to somehow force him into hearing you pray. Is that how you think about prayer? That's how you're tempted to think about prayer. Jesus is inviting you to look to him as your loving father, to rest in the assurance, to rest in his assurance and care for you because of what Christ has done. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God the Father now looks at you with the same love and affection that he has for his own son, Jesus Christ. He's not reluctant to hear from you. He longs for you to come to him as a child comes to their father. This is something that I find myself just telling the girls all of the time. Often before we, we pray at the end of family worship in the evenings, I'll, I'll look at the girls and I'll, and I'll tell them, Mackenzie, Kaylee, do you know that God loves it when you pray to him? Do you know that God loves hearing you pray to him? I'm sure they're sick of hearing it by now. They usually respond, yes, dad. You know, they just want to pray and get on to dessert or whatever's happening next. But I want them to know that, that God loves it when his children pray to him. Just like I love it when the girls will come up and snuggle with me on the couch. Kenzie will, will jump next to me on the couch and she'll just sit down and she'll say, I just, just want to chat. Just want to chat, dad. That just fills me with love. I, I want them to come. I want them to, to sit next to me and, and chat with me. And God, your loving father, wants you to jump next to him on the couch. He wants you to come to him and just chat. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray, to begin our prayers, our father in heaven. It's not just some magic formula. It's not some like entrance test. You don't have to know the, the secret words for God to hear you. When we pray our Father in heaven, it's a, it's a, a formative, it's an, an orienting statement for us. It's, it's reminding us who we are and whose we are. We say our Father in heaven to remind ourselves that, that we are his children and that he is our loving, listening Father. This is our Godward confidence. We want to move closer to God relationally. We are going to pray to him with this Godward confidence that he is our loving and listening father who desires that we come to him. Second, we see that Jesus teaches us to pray with a Godward priority. As we transition to the second point, we enter into the actual text of the Lord's Prayer. In these verses, Jesus is, is giving us a pattern for prayer. He's not saying, look, this is the only prayer you can ever pray. You have to just slavishly repeat these words over and over and over again every time you pray. But he's showing us how to pray. He's giving us a model for prayer. I find it helpful when I think about this, to think of the Lord's Prayer as like, as like the scaffolding around the tower of prayer. It's giving us a, a, a model for how we are to, to form our own prayers to God. So in light of our, of our confidence that we have, as we begin in prayer, Jesus teaches us that our prayer 
should begin with God. They should have a, a God word priority. Let's see how Jesus models this for us in verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see how the first half of the Lord's Prayer, the first three petitions are concerned with with God-centered realities. As we begin in prayer, Jesus teaches us that we're not to, to let our own needs and issues dominate in prayer. Yes, there's a place for us to bring our needs to prayer. That is, is true. We're going to look at that next. Jesus wants to hear our needs. But as Jesus teaches us to pray, he's showing us that, that God is to be the starting point of our prayers. You see, we don't start by asking, give us our daily bread. But we start, hallowed be your name. We were asking God that he would, would cause his name to be treated as holy, that it will be regarded as holy. It's not saying that God's name isn't already holy. Jesus' name is the name above all names. But in this prayer, we're asking that God will make this reality more and more, uh, that God will make this more and more reality in our lives and in the world. That more and more people will call on his name. In verse 9, when Jesus speaks of God's name, he's, he's referring to all that God is. He's referring to, to who God is and to what he's done in the past and what he's doing for us now. It's in light of our experience of, of God's grace as he's made us his children, in light of, of who God is that we respond to him in praise and adoration. We begin in prayer by praising God. We cry out, oh, Father, I want, I want your name to be honored. I want you to be seen as great. I want your name to be glorified in my life and in all the world. We're crying these things out because they're the things that are important to God. Connected to this request, we see next that Jesus teaches us that is to pray that his kingdom will come. As we speak these words, as we pray these words to God, we're, we're asking him that his saving and transforming reign will come now. That it will expand in the here and now. And we're also praying that God will bring his kingdom in his fullness. As Paul and John pray, this is, this is our Maranatha prayer as we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying that, that God would come quickly. That he would, would bring his kingdom in its fullness. And the last of these God-centered petitions is a prayer that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking, us, we're asking God to bring about his desires, to cause his perfect plans to come to pass here on earth the way they're done in heaven. Here again, we see why our confidence in prayer is so important. Uh, Tim Keller just, just helpfully says, he helpfully points out that unless we are profoundly certain that God is our Father, we will never be able to say, Thy will be done. 
We pray these God-centered petitions in, in our confidence in who he is as our father. We pray with Godward priorities because who he is as our father. As we pray, your will be done, we're, we're expressing our trust in God, in his plans and not our own. It's to look to our heavenly father and to trust in him, especially when we, when we can't make sense of things. The first half of the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray with a Godward priority. We're praying for, for God's honor, for God's kingdom, and for God's will. I don't know about you, but I find that this, this teaching, this, this learning how to pray with a, with a Godward priority is such a, a helpful corrective for me in my own prayer life. Because all too often my prayers are, are thin. My prayers are, are self-centered. Can, can you relate I trust that you can all agree that, that left to ourselves, we're likely to pray only for the things that are most troubling us at the moment. We're only going to be concerned with our, with our felt needs. You see, C.S. Lewis captured this, this, this temptation well in his book, Screwtape Letters. In one letter from Screw, in one letter, Screwtape, a, a senior demon writes to his his nephew Wormwood, a junior demon, and he writes. He says, "Whenever they are attending to the enemy himself, that is, whenever Christians are praying to God, we are defeated. The the demons are defeated." He says, "But there are so many ways of preventing them from doing so. The simplest is to turn their gaze." away from him, and towards themselves. Catch what he's saying here? He's saying that the easiest way to, to, to keep us from attending to God as our father is to curve us in on ourselves. It's to cause us to, to, to look to our own needs, to turn our, our gaze away from who he is as our father, and to look only to ourselves, to look only to our needs. But as we look to the Lord's Prayer, we see that Jesus teaches us. We say Jesus knows our tendency, and so he teaches us. He teaches us to pray with a Godward priority. To pray first and foremost for the things of God. So as we consider the purpose of prayer, as we consider how God is desiring to move us closer in a relationship with him in prayer, we see how important this lesson is for us. Because if we desire to move closer to God relationally, if we desire to grow in communion and intimacy with him, then we need to care about the things that are important to him. I mean, this makes sense, right? I mean, think about your, your closest relationships, your, your closest friendships. Do you think that you would be, be friends with those people? if they didn't care about, you, if, about what you were interested, if, if what you were interested in wasn't important to them. I mean, they, chances are they wouldn't be your closest friend, right? And we don't want to be friends with people who aren't interested in, in, what, in the things that are important to us. This reality, I just um, was just reminded of this reality um, as I thought back to the, to the earliest days of uh, Donna and my uh, friendship slash dating relationship. As much as I can remember, and she, she confirmed last night, when we first started dating, she really wasn't that interested in baseball. She, she wasn't a huge fan of baseball, which, which is fine, but she didn't hate it, which, as I told her last night, was a good thing, because if she did, it probably would have been a deal breaker. 
But, but she probably couldn't name any baseball player. Maybe Tony Gwynn, you know, San Diego your entire life. But, but she didn't know anything else about baseball. But as we began to spend more and more time together, as our relationship grew, she became more and more interested in the Padres. She came to love the Padres as much as I did. I mean, I can remember even going over to her house and catching her watching the Padre games when I wasn't there. She was, she was doing it on her own. Because the things that, I, that were important to me, the things I was interested in, became important to her. And the same thing happens to us in our relationship with God. As we move closer to him relationally, we'll find that his priorities, the things that are important to him, will become important to us. In increasing measure, our desires will be, be formed and shaped to match his as we become more and more concerned with the things that he's concerned about, we're going to find ourselves concerned that God's name be honored. We're going to desire that his kingdom come in our lives, in our church, in our city, and in the world. Because that's what's important to God. We're going to pray, your will be done. Because we know that he is our loving father. We know that he is bringing about his desires. So Jesus teaches us that we move closer to him in prayer when we pray with a Godward priority, when we pray with a Godward confidence. And lastly, we see that we move closer to him relationally when we pray with a Godward dependence. As we look at the second half of the Lord's Prayer, the second three in the second three petitions, Jesus is teaching us to express our, de our dependence on God in every area of our lives. Look with me at verses 11 to 13 as Jesus transitions from God-centered prayers to, to human-centered prayers, to our need-centered prayers. He says, Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Before we look at the specifics of these requests, I want to circle back to something that I passed over earlier. In, in verse 7, Jesus says that we're not to pray like the, the Gentiles, we're not supposed to be like the Gentiles in prayer, because our Father knows what we need before we ask him. This has caused a lot of people to question. And maybe even you yourself have asked yourself, if Jesus knows what we need before we ask him, why do we need to pray? I mean, why bother with prayer if God already knows? Isn't it just, isn't it just a waste of time? Why, why are we spending time in prayer if God already knows what we need? If he knows what we need better than we do. Why pray? Well, I think that the best answer to this question is a, is a really old answer to, the, to this question. In the 5th century, there was a gal named Proba uh, who wrote a letter to Augustine asking him this very question. She asks him, Why does the Lord command us to petition him for particular things when he, are, when he already knows what we need? Let's see his reply. Augustine writes back in a letter to her. He says, he knows what we need before we ask him. Why then, why then he does this can be troubling to the mind 
unless we understand that the Lord our God does not want our will, of which he cannot be ignorant, to become known to him. Jesus isn't asking us to, to give him information he doesn't already have. But catch this. Augustine writes, rather he, God, God wants our desires. He wants our desires to be exercised in our prayers to him so that we will become able to receive what he is prepared to give. Do you see what Augustine's saying here? He's showing us that the purpose of prayer is not to, in, to inform gods of our needs. He knows what we need before we do. He's not ignorant of these things. But he wants our hearts. He wants our desires. God, is, God commands us to pray for all of our needs. Because as we express our dependence on him, God is at work in us. God is at work in our hearts, forming and shaping us into grateful people who are able to receive what he is willing to give us as gifts. We pray to our omniscient, all-knowing God, expressing our dependence upon him, because as we do, God is teaching us, he's training us to acknowledge what is fundamentally true that we don't have anything that we didn't receive, and that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. So in light of this, Jesus teaches us, give us our daily bread. He teaches us to pray, give us our daily bread, not because he's ignorant of our needs. God knows what you need to make it through the day, to make it through the week. But as we pray this, he's teaching us to pray to him, expressing our needs to him, so that when we receive our daily bread, when we receive the things that he desires to give us, that we'll experience them as they really are, as divine gifts. That we'll experience what God is willing to, that what God is freely giving to us as gifts, as answers to our prayers. And so we'll respond in gratitude. We'll move closer to God as we acknowledge that he is giving us what we need, that he desires to provide for our needs. We'll pray, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, as we have also forgiven our debtors, because we know that we're dependent upon God for the ability to freely forgive others. This doesn't come naturally to us, or, or at least it doesn't come naturally to me. Apart from, from our experience of God's forgiveness, we'll never be able to reach out to others and freely forgive. We'll never desire for, for harmony in our relationships apart from God. And so we pray to him to help us. In this request, we're acknowledging our dependence upon God to give us the grace that we need to forgive others, to live in relationship with others. And in the last petition, we're, we're expressing our spiritual dependence upon God as we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're praying that God will not lead us into situations where we'll be tempted by Satan. And we're acknowledging our utter helplessness as we need God to deliver us and to protect us. 
Together as we pray these three things, we're expressing our complete dependence upon God for everything. And this is good news because we have a God who knows our needs. He knows your physical needs. He knows your your relational needs. He knows your spiritual needs. Perhaps you're here and you're tempted to think that maybe God doesn't know what you need. Maybe you're tempted to think that God doesn't care about your needs. In the Lord's Prayer, in our passage this morning, Jesus is showing us that God hasn't turned his back on you. He knows your struggles at work. He knows that your income is stretched and that the bills are coming due. Jesus knows what keeps you awake at night. He knows what causes you to to have anxiety. He knows those things. And because he's your father, he's inclined to meet your needs. Because he's your father, he cares for you. He desires to provide for you. As Jesus will show us later in his Sermon on the Mount, if even earthly fathers give good gifts to their children, how much more will our heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? He's our heavenly Father. He knows what we need before we ask him. And so as we seek to grow in our relationship with God, as Jesus teaches us to pray, teaches us to pray with a Godward dependence to realize that everything we need comes from him and to know that he loves us. He cares for us. He desires to meet those needs. So what comes to your mind when you think of prayer? I think the thing that Jesus... um, In in Jamie Smith's book, he wrote a great book called You Are What You Love, he retells this anecdote that that I think helpfully gets at what Jesus is trying to teach us here as we think about our relationship with God in prayer. He writes, we have it up there. He says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. As Jesus teaches us to pray, he's inviting us to long for the endless intimacy of the sea that is our relationship with him. In praying, as Jesus teaches us to pray with a Godward confidence, a Godward priority, a Godward dependence, he isn't drumming up tasks for us. He's not calling us to go out and to collect wood. But as he's teaching us to pray, he's teaching us to long for the endless immensity of our relationship with him. Jesus is inviting us to stand beside him and to long to grow closer to him. He's inviting us to to stand next to him and to look at what our relationship with him will be as we come to him confidently in prayer, praying for the things that are important to him. He's calling us to imagine what it would be like to know him better, to know who we are as his children, and to experience him as our loving and listening father.
He's inviting us to long for deeper communion with him as our priorities are increasingly more aligned with his. As our hearts long for the things that are important to him. And he's calling us to picture how he will be at work in us as he is forming and shaping us into a people who seek all good things from him and people who credit him with all good things. As you think about prayer, Jesus wants us to long for relationship with him. Jesus wants us to cry out to God our Father, to express our needs and to grow in, in learning and loving the things that are important to him. In just a few moments, we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to, to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And it's a fitting way to end this sermon because like prayer, this practice, the practice of the Lord's Supper, moves us closer to God relationally. It reminds us that our relationship with God has been restored because of the work of another. The bread and the cup are tangible reminders to us that it's only because of what Christ has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection that we can call him Father, that we can trust in his love and his care for us. So as the band comes up, as the, the 